Hi everyone, my name is Eric Cruz Larios. And I am Tony Robles. And welcome to The Seventh Mile. All right, today we're going to be talking about Naaman. Uh, his story is found in 2 Kings chapter 5, and there's a lot to learn from this character. Yeah, he is a character that we have learned as kid, kids, blue Bible storybooks, whatnot. Mm-hmm. But there's just so much more we can learn from him. Yeah, I think you can really gain a lot from his story from really trying to apply his situation to in, a, in just a lot of different ways. So Yeah, it's very relatable, and I think we're going to enjoy this conversation. So let's pray. Dear Holy Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you that you are with us and you are going to bless this conversation. Jesus in the name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So yeah, we're talking about Naaman. And uh he's one of those weird characters where I feel like he's in the middle. So either he is kind of well known, but also some people have never heard of him, or maybe they've heard of him but don't know the story. So he's definitely a character that uh is great to look into. So as we start our story, we pretty much are introduced to Naaman, the character of Naaman. So Naaman, uh, we're in chapter 5, 2 uh, Kings chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Uh, the Bible introduces Naaman as the commander of the army of Syria. Now, this is really important to know because it, it, uh, it kind of sets an interesting tone for the rest of the story because... Syria is literally the enemy of Israel. So we're reading a story about the enemy of Israel. Uh, But the way that the Bible describes him here is very positive. It says uh, he was the army, he was the commander of the army for Syria or Aram. Some translations say Aram. Uh, He was a great man uh, in the view of his master and eminent. And because by him, the Lord had given victory to Syria. So even God, it literally says that God has worked through this person to give Syria victories. Uh, This might be confusing for uh, people, but honestly, uh, because we, we always see God working with Israel and Israel always being like, oh, God's chosen people. But the reality is Israel has a really bad history, uh, especially with some of its rulers later on. And this was not exactly like the highlight of Israel's spirituality. And I would say that what it means here by God leading victories, uh, especially for the enemy of Israel, uh, is in some ways saying that God literally is working through Syria uh, in order to uh, either show what happens when you're not faithful to him or when you abandon him. Um, and it also kind of, like we've talked about in our previous podcast, kind of talks about like how it can even be that people who are not essentially Christians or who don't really identify themselves with God can be more in tune with his spirit than the actual people of God by name. Um, so, yeah, we pretty much see that with with Naaman. Uh, so it continues to just talk about him. It even says that the man was also a valiant warrior. And then it has an interesting thing at the very end of this big description of him. It says, but he was afflicted with leprosy. 
So we, we start off with all these grandiose adjectives describing the greatness of Naaman, but it's all surmised and kind of just completely downplayed at the very end, simply by mentioning that he has leprosy. And, and this is for several different reasons, for sure. Um, leprosy was one of those diseases that completely deformed a person. It was it was not something that you wanted, you know? I mean, we're all very aware of, like, you know, COVID and just, like, diseases, especially nowadays. But leprosy was, like, a whole nother ball game, right? Because, I mean, it literally, your skin would turn white, pale. Uh, it would start to peel off. You're literally like your fingernails. It's really gruesome. <laughs> Sorry for the description, but it's not something you want to be around. Your your nose would fall off. Your flesh would literally just be consumed and you would slowly deteriorate until you die. And and, and so we see this person. So when you, you have that in mind, it, it's like easy to see this person who has all these great adjectives, but they have this one thing. So despite all their supposed greatness, despite all their great stature, they're all kind of just taken down by this one simple statement. But he was afflicted with leprosy. Yeah, and it's very interesting for sure that regardless of all his great things that he had done or the great wealth that he might have respect, like that does not matter to this story. Like. Mm -hmm what matters was that he was a leper. He was afflicted. He was sick. And, and yeah, he, he automatically is in a position where he may not be in the favor of most people around him. Like he might not, although he's respected, people don't want to be around him because leprosy back then was very contagious too. So he's sort of like an, like a popular outcast and and that must be very hard because like mm-hmm. once you have glory once you get once you're popular people see you and and people want to be with you like for example famous people you see a famous person you want to take a picture you want to get an autograph mm-hmm. yeah so that was him basically and and because of his leprosy that's all like stripped away so like he is in a very difficult position where he's willing to listen to anyone he, i'm sure he's done everything he can with the medicine at the time but it got to a point where nothing was working so he was willing to listen and a yeah. little girl from israel it put him in like a, along. It, it, uh his leprosy definitely put him in like a position of necessity right because right? he clearly has everything right mm-hmm. um but because of this leprosy uh, he he is almost kind of like forced into a into a situation where you know you can imagine he's probably panicking. He's probably like, oh my gosh, like how how do I how do I deal with this? How do I you know how do I manage this? And I think it's because he's in that position that as we continue on with the story, we see him more open and more. Yeah, just just more open to listening. Uh, yeah, and I think that's going to be very key for for the following mm-hmm. verses. Yeah, so continuing on with the story, so now it, it it begins to describe a young girl, and this wasn't just any young girl. This, like I said, he's an enemy of Israel. So so, and he's the commander of the army <laughs> for Israel. So he has a young girl 
that he took captive, which is essentially a slave, right? So he literally has this slave who uh, she waits on his wife. I guess you could say that's like almost like his wife's butler, pretty much. Um, and you have this young slave girl from from Israel. And this is like such a positive point to me in the story because she sees uh, her master like really struggling with like this whole situation. And I can't just, I mean, it's so hard for me to even put myself in her shoes because here you are in a foreign land. You've been taken from your parents. Actually, your parents were probably killed to be entirely honest, you know, for being realistic. Uh, her home was destroyed, family killed. Here you are forced to work for these people. What kind of love do you have to have in your heart to do what she's about to do? She sees Naaman struggling with this illness and out of nowhere, she says to his wife, oh, if only he was with the prophet who's in Samaria, which is where she's from, which another name for Israel, right? Uh, so she's basically saying, oh, if only he knew the prophet, if only he was able to be in contact with him because then he would cure him of his leprosy. Yeah, she she has she definitely had faith. Love love faith in general. Yeah. yeah, love <laughs> in general like to love your enemy mm-hmm. like her Jesus literal said. enemy. Yeah, literal enemy who captivated mm-hmm. her, probably killed her parents, killed her family, attacking Israel. I, yeah, like he he this guy like if I was that little girl, I wouldn't want to help him, but mm-hmm instead of being selfish and prideful in that she was open to just share God's love and mm-hmm. give him some hope. Yeah. Completely selfless, completely selfless. And I mean, yeah, we could keep on talking about her. It's just crazy. You know, to me, uh, Tony, like um, just from my experiences in dealing with people and stuff like that, uh, something that I find, uh, is that the people who have love in their hearts, like genuine love, those are the people that I consider the most in tune with God and and most who probably have Jesus closer in their hearts. Like uh, working canvassing, I would go to doors that say like, oh, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, Joshua. And they have like verses everywhere. But when I go and talk to them, like, they would slam the door in my face. And like, obviously, yes, I get it. I'm, I'm knocking on your door. I'm kind of being annoying, right? But it puts myself or it puts me in an interesting situation because I am a literal stranger. They will never see me again. There are no repercussions and there are also no rewards for the way you treat me. I am literally just a person passing through. You could almost say to some people being a nuisance. Um Obviously, I don't believe that because that's why I did canvassing. But that's how some people would perceive you. So to me, it spoke it spoke of how much love someone has in their hearts with the way they treated a literal stranger. Because that's what I was, a stranger. So I, I see that in this girl almost where it's just mm-hmm. like you look at this girl and there's just such love that you can see in her actions, which is just crazy. Um also crazy is the fact that Naaman listens to her. Um, I mean, 
Right. It speaks to how stressed he must be. <laughs> yeah, he. I guess it was the last resort. I'm not sure. But I'm sure his first reaction or his first um, attempts to get better was with what he knew and his gods, potentially. I'm sure they had multiple gods. So I'm sure he had his sacrifices. He would visit the temples, talk to the priest and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And that, yeah, and it wasn't working. And he he was at a point of desperation where he welcomed any advice or any mm-hmm. any option. Yeah, just help, help. <laughs> exactly. And yeah. maybe maybe that's what what signaled that love in that girl to to help her. It's just maybe seeing his distress. Um. All right. So continuing on. So Naaman listens to this girl, and this is something that will continue to point out through this story, but Naaman doesn't have really a problem when it comes to listen or when it comes to believing uh, in the reality of a God who can heal him. Uh, and we definitely see that here. He listens to this girl and he goes straight up to the, we're talking the king of Syria. Like this is the king Okay, I don't want to say that because it's like God's title or whatever, but he's literally like the king of kings of that time. You know, he's he's got the biggest nation, the biggest armies. He's the big boss, and he literally takes it up with the king. Also speaks to who Naaman is, uh, the fact that he can do this. And he says, yo, I really need to go see this prophet. I might die. So what the king does is that he sends a letter to the king of Israel. He sends an, a message to his enemy. Formal letter, everything stamped with the wax and everything. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a very, very formal message. And and along with this letter, he sends, it says, uh, 10 talents of silver, 6,000 sh- shekels of gold, and 10 changes, 10 changes of cloth. Uh, to us, that might not mean a lot, uh, but I during my studies about this, I, I heard that that was... Somewhere in the millions, you know, easily, um, maybe like near the 10 millions of dollars. So uh, definitely crazy money. And and so th- this this message and all these gifts are sent to the king of Israel. And this is a really funny scene uh, to me because you can imagine from the position of the Syrians, right? You hear that there's a prophet in your enemy land. And so what you do is obviously you must reach out to the king because if there's a prophet in the enemy land, obviously the king and the prophet must be buddy-buddy, you know, and if you're going to want to send your own commander of the army to the enemy land, you want acceptance from the king himself. So, you know, at least even in their own um, pagan mindset it's like well of course the prophet would be close to the king and so they send this to the king as probably a way to reach the prophet then we get a shift of scenery and we see how the king reacts to this and he says and it says in uh verse seven uh so basically the king just got told they want him to cure naaman of his leprosy he literally says am I God <laughs> to kill and keep alive? Like, well, what do you want from me? Like, first of all, where's his faith, right? <laughs> yeah, right. We're clearly seeing the king of Israel displaying less faith than not only a, a slave girl, but 
from the enemy commander and the king. Yeah, because and the king, the king. The king wrote the letter. So yeah, yeah, and send millions of dollars. So we're seeing literally the kingdom of Israel, which is supposed to be God's people. Like I said, not great situation right now with their spirituality. Um, they're they're displaying more faith than the actual king of Israel, which is just crazy. Um, so the king. He's like, yo, am I God? How do you expect me to cure leprosy? And he's so stressed. He literally like rips his clothes. And he's like, dude, this is going to start a war. Like, like I don't know what's going on here. So he's he's definitely panicked. Um, And so as that happens, Elijah, you know, Elisha finds out about this one way or another. Uh, it says, Elisha, the man of God, heard the king of Israel had torn his clothes. So he, he hears about it. Uh, and then he, he sends a message to the king saying, why did you do that? Um, just have him come to me and he shall learn that there is a prophet in Israel. So it, it goes to show that the king and the prophet definitely don't have a great relationship. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, there's a lot to be said about that. Just talking about simply knowing the character of God uh, and knowing and having faith. Like I said, a big aspect of this story is all about faith. And just a, we see the lack of faith displayed by someone who is supposed to have probably the most faith out of anybody in the kingdom. Right. Who yeah. chose him. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. So uh, then we see, so Naaman pretty much comes over to Elisha's house now because that's that's what Elisha asked him to do. And Elisha pulls, I mean, Naaman pulls up to like Elisha's house and he's got, you know, he's got his horses, he's got his chariots. Cause of course he's the commander of the army. This, this guy comes up fully loaded, probably in his armor, you know, and we're talking about like way back then, probably like peasants all around. So imagine like, you know, a whole parade. really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Imagine. Yeah. yeah. How are you going to carry so much gold and silver? You need several horses. Yeah. You need, so, yeah. And you have to protect because I'm sure there was like people, thieves and stuff like you got to protect mm, that. Mm -hmm. So you got a whole set of army, I guess, just behind mm. you. Like he's the commander of the king of Syria, the commander of Syria, basically. Yeah. So imagine this, right? So pretty much like imagine like the the president of the United States. Okay. Let's not even say the president, right? Let's say like the secretary of defense, right? Pulls up to your house. He's got his his tanks behind him. He's got his infantry. You know, he's got probably like at least a dozen soldiers with him. He literally pulls up straight up in front of your door. And he you know he wants to talk to you. So what does Elisha, a man who is listening to the word of God, a literal prophet, do? He sends his messenger, <laughs> which uh, you can't imagine. Uh, you can't imagine how that went down. Um, yeah, like someone important came to my house, and like I would, I would love to if they were coming for something. I would love to meet that individual. Like for yeah. like us humans, like yeah, why not? Like he, this guy is special and important. On top of that, he's coming as a sign of faithfulness. He's coming as a like. This man is like literally saying, I know your God can heal me. I'm here for you to heal me because I know you are connected to God. Right. Um, and the second, me uh, the messenger that he, Elijah sent, that's just like a huge like punch in, in the stomach or yeah. something. Like, 
<laughs> because he he was not expecting that at yeah, all. Yeah, it's like sending your kid out to to the Secretary of Defense, be like, oh. Uh, my dad can't talk to you right now, um, but he told me to tell you this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. He's it, like, who are you? <laughs> it is just a crazy scene. So obviously, Naaman's stressed. <laughs> you know, he's like, bruh, like this is, what is this? Like, what is going on? Um, yeah, he came from so far. I Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know how that, this trip, maybe, maybe he was like, maybe he almost died a like maybe he was so bad that yeah we don't know how sick he was either. yeah we don't like, like it must have been serious for him to like want to listen to the little girl yeah, in his, the first place his eyeball could be hanging out for all you know <laughs> right right so like, like this was probably like his last few steps of hope where he was like oh uh, I, yeah. I, I i'm gonna see elijah and he's yeah. gonna just look at me and heal me and it's gonna be all good and worth it and that trip probably was a couple of weeks at least yeah, so I mean, this is a high pressure situation for Naaman, you know. Um, okay, he, his eyes probably not hanging out, but you get what I mean. Like, seriously, this is his life we're talking about, and he's come all the way to a foreign land, his enemy, uh, to seek treatment from this specific prophet, and all he gets is a messenger. So it's like, yo. Um, but continuing on, this messenger comes to him and he says. Go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh will be restored to you and you will be clean. Uh, something I'd like to say is imagine how Naaman feels at this point, right? He must be, he's so desperate to the point where he listens to his slave. His slave's like, hey, I, I know that if you go here, you'll be, you'll be healed. And, and he like listens and, you know, he's the top. He, he, he's got a direct line to the king of, like I said, like the king of kings of that time, you know, and, and he's he's here once again listening to a servant, uh, and his this servant's even telling him, "Yo, like you need to go get in that nasty brown water over there, and I want you to dunk yourself seven times in front of in front of your entire army, like right now. I want you to do that, and." Also, on top of that, you're not even going to be talking to the prophet in the first place. It's like, what is going on? Like, I mean, on top of that, like, didn't this trip cost him like millions of dollars? You know, <laughs> he literally like poured his heart out and his soul out. And he's here full, full faith, willing to, you know, just completely believing. Yeah. And, and his response is sort of just so human like that it's it's in a, in a <laughs> yeah. way in a way it's funny but again similar to jonah when we talked about him like it's us in many ways as well but it says here in verse 11 that but naaman was furious and went away and said behold i thought he will surely mm. come out to me and stand and call on the name of the lord his god and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper yeah and, and and then even later in verse 12, it says he turned away and went in rage, in rage, in a rage. So he's mad. Uh, I would, I mean, I would say almost justly. Yeah, and, and, <laughs> and, and I, I, I want to say that, but I mean, yeah. at least to me, I'd be like, bruh, you know, like what, like what is going on? Like, this is crazy. Right. And, and he was willing to just mm -hmm. return home. 
and die basically yeah because like that was it he had no hope mm-hmm. other than that he was willing to just just wait and die you know yeah he he's just like so mad and and something that this is probably my favorite verse in the whole in the whole story uh because it it, it has this really succinct phrase where Naven says behold i thought you know and and man like I feel Naaman, you know, because like he literally says like, yo, like, okay, think about this. He's heard legends of this prophet who heals, you know, he, he's, he sent out riches and he's gone on this epic journey to find the house of this prophet. And he finally gets to this house, to the house of this prophet who serves this God, who is, who is able to heal him. And he's like, okay, go, go into the, go into the river. I want you to go in the was that my phone? Anyways, uh, go into the river and dunk yourself. It's like this is crazy, and it's demeaning. It's and it it kind of roots itself in like he has this this thought of who who he thinks God is, or more so, he expects God to act in a certain way. Um, and it kind of makes me think of myself. You know, like how many times do like I, I can think of so many times in my own life where I thought that God would probably expect me to do something, probably expect me to do like this specific thing. Oh, he probably wants me to go to this place. Oh, he probably wants me to become this major. Oh, he probably wants me to come work at this place. Oh, he probably wants me to come move here. And, and you would expect that God wants wants you to do that. But then he just he flips things, you know, he, he, he sends you to the, like these random crazy places that you never thought you would have been able to go. And you never really even considered going. Um, I don't want to like rant on too long. Um, but yeah, I, I've seen that so many times in my life where I felt like everyone was saying, Oh God, like God definitely wants you to go here. He he wants you to go here for sure. But then when I actually, and I felt like I agreed with them. Like, yeah, of course. Why wouldn't God want me to go here? But then when I actually sought out God's will, he was like, no, actually, I want you to do this. And I was like, yo, what God, what? Why? Why? You know, like it didn't make sense to me at the time. But looking back on it now, best advice ever is to just listen to God because he's God and he knows what he's talking about. Yeah, he he has his own way of working and but often, often humans just want to do it their way. Like they'll come to God. It's easy to come to God. It's really easy. You just pray, and and talk to Him. And but for the most part, we just give a request, and we specifically want it a certain way. And that's what Naaman was expecting. He was expecting his way to go through because he had the money. He had the the respect, so like he expected it to be easy, said and yeah. done. Elijah coming out and be like, "All right, mm-hmm. you're good to go. Have a safe trip." But that was not the case because God had a different intention in this healing, mm-hmm. and yeah. I think this is a very important part. Yeah, and as we continue to see, uh, Naaman continues to talk in verse twelve. He says, "Our Abana and Farpar." The rivers of Damascus, not better than all the waters of Israel. Could I not wash in them and be clean? So something that I want to that I like to point is that he still hasn't really lost his faithfulness. 
uh, his faithfulness is definitely still intact. You know, he he's not even questioning if God can heal him, but he's questioning why is God telling me to do it in this way, you know? And I would argue um, that this is kind of, this is something that's rooted in pride uh, for him. We can see that he definitely comes from esteem. He comes from like a higher class and he has positions. He has authority as well as monetary uh, resources that definitely all give him like rightfully so to, to consider himself Okay, maybe not rightfully so, but consider himself above others, you know, or above doing things that are demeaning to him. So throughout the, like this whole journey, he's had to repeatedly humble himself over and over and over again. And even so, even though he's faithful and even though he still hasn't relinquished his faith, when it comes to obeying God, he struggles. And I would argue that, like I said, that comes from pride you know why why is he not willing to do this why is he not willing to dunk himself seven times into the river and i feel like you can kind of see that in here because he's not complaining oh why can't i just go into the river or or i mean like he's not he's not complaining about even doing it in river he's like why this river and why seven times because he's literally saying i would do it back home in the clean rivers at my house to me, it, it seems like his real issue is both with how this message from God was delivered to him, as well as the the implications of having to go into this less pristine, probably dirtier water in front of everyone and kind of just almost humiliate himself because it, it, it's a very humbling thing to do as everyone watches you having to dunk yourself in like this kind of gross water, you know? <laughs> yeah. And he, well, as we see, he turned away from, from rage with rage, but the catalyst to rethink this, this whole thing was a servant again, the servants, mm -hmm. his servants that yeah. told him specifically um, in verse 13, they said, my father, I had the, had the prophet told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more than when he says to you, wash and be clean? Yeah. And and that gave him kind of like the push, I guess. Mm -hmm. I don't know whether it was a sort of a challenge that he felt or whatnot, <laughs> but the thing is that it worked. Yeah. It worked and he decided to do it. And going on, he did. He went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God, and he was clean. But like the fact that he was able to listen to the servants is yeah. very important. I mean, because that shows to him, right? Props to him because that shows that he is sort of like becoming more humble. You know? Yeah. So, so this entire story, right? It's literally like almost kind of like a hero's journey story arc. Um, I I really love literary themes. Uh, you know, I asked myself why I wasn't a theo major, but I asked myself like a lot of other stuff. Like I kind of wanted to do English major too. But anyways, like there's like, there's a clear character arc here, right? Because we see Naaman have to continually humble himself. And it gets to this point where he once again, for the third time, has to listen to one of his servants. And he says, the servant saying, you know, if if this prophet had told you to do something great, wouldn't you have done it? Like, oh, if he told him to, if he told you to, like, 
uh, I don't know, <laughs> like climb out. Sinai or something. Or, like yeah, that. yeah. Something like crazy, no, like Everest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, wouldn't you have done it? Uh, so if it's this small little thing, why can't you do it? And I think it's at that point where Naaman has to really confront himself with like, wait, why why am I struggling so much with this? You know, he's right. You know, he he's like listening to a servant and he's like Yo, you're right. Why am I? Why? Why is this such a big deal to me? And it's at this point where he finally gets to that conclusion of, I, I can't just have faith alone. That faith has to also lead to obedience. You know, I, I, I can't just say, oh, I believe in God. And, you know, and I, I believe that he can heal me and stuff, but not do what God asks of you in order to receive that very healing, you know? Uh, so you definitely get to this, we get to this beautiful climax where Naaman humbles himself. And you can just imagine the scene, right? Where I would assume, right, he's wearing armor and he's all like dressed up and stuff. So he'd probably have to like take off his metal armor, get to literally to just like his undershirt in front of his like whole crew and in front of the servant there and just humble himself, listen to all these people who are supposedly like beneath him, lower in like, you know, and, and just... And just listen. It was a breaking point. Yeah, it, it was a breaking point. It was a breaking point. And and I think what's impressive is that, first of all, it's such an easy task. Like, it's one of the easiest tasks, but at the same time, it's the hardest because there was three things going against him that, and, and for this reason, God picked this, I think, because one, if if Elijah told him, go climb this mountain and fight this monster or whatnot, yeah. I'm like, sure he would do it. Yeah, he was a valiant, like a he, he was a valiant man. Valiant says. man yeah. yeah, um and um, yeah. So he would have done it, and if he did it, then and he if he was healed, he would he would have a reason why mm. to point it back to himself Ooh, because true. he was he was himself. But also, if if Elijah just healed him because of the money, then that's another reason. His wealth was a reason for his mm-hmm. healing and. If he was just healed, then he could say that it was just his character, the fact that he got a letter from the king and just because he was such an important guy. So automatically dipping himself seven times in the water eliminates those three options. Mm -hmm. And it gives him no option to look at himself and say, I did it because of me. Mm. He had to look at that option that he was given and, and said, I did it. Because I humbled myself and I was willing to have people see me go in this dirty river and not only once, but seven times dip myself. And I could only imagine the servant the first time, like he goes down, everyone shears and claps. The second time <laughs> they shear and clap again. The third time, a little less. The fourth time, a little bit less. On the sixth time, everyone's just probably just in awe or just like, waiting to see what's going to yeah, happen on the next one. And can one. you can you imagine how how dumb he must look if if it doesn't work? Like <laughs> Right. Exactly. If it doesn't work, then now what? Like Yeah, like you just like, make yourself look like a fool, get played. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So it was a risk that he was willing to take and I think that's where the obedient part comes yeah. along. 
Yeah. So we get to like, so this is kind of like the climax of the story. And um, then we see it, the story pretty much ends off. Uh, he just wants to give gifts to Elijah, which I mean, I think is pretty significant, right? Because before he he's kind of demanding Elisha comes out to meet him. But now he's returning after receiving like, after finally obeying and humbling himself, he comes and he wants to give gifts now to Elisha. He's like, I'm, and it's kind of significant because he says, so please accept a gift from your servant now. So all this time he's the boss, you know, he is the master and he's, he's having to listen to all these servants, all these servants, all these servants. And you can very clearly tell from the beginning of, his interactions with Elisha, he expects Elisha, like everyone else, to treat him like he's the master. But now, after this, after this moment of of just character transformation, he comes to him and calls himself his servant. You know, I mean, that's super significant to me, and I I think like that's a pretty good evidence at least to me of someone who's really opened their heart to humility yeah his character changed for sure and that's why i love the title naaman was healed or naaman Mm -hmm. naaman is healed yeah and i like that it's very broad because you could say that he was healed in many ways physically mentally spiritually as well and i think the important thing about this story is that we could apply it to our own life because we need sometimes physical like healing, but also we need mental and spiritual healing. Yeah. And I think that's what's very important. And you could substitute the word leper for anything too. So like mm-hmm. you, he and was a great man, but, but he was prideful. He was, yeah. I mean, you could say anything. Yeah. I mean, leprosy was always, I mean, is pretty much always a stand in for sin in the Bible. Uh, so I don't think it would be a far fetch to say that, uh, when it says in, like in the beginning, like you said, it like lists all these great attributes about Naaman. Uh, but then it says, oh, but he had leprosy. You could almost replace that word with, with pridefulness. Like, oh yeah, he, he did all these great things. You know, he, he, he was this great conqueror. He's this great leader. He's a valiant swordsman. He's a warrior, but he's prideful. And when you when you transform the text like that, and we see it from that perspective, this is not a a hero's journey of Naaman healing himself of leprosy, but in reality, it's a journey of God trying to get Naaman to open his heart to him, because the reality is Naaman has the faith. You know, he's willing to believe that there is a God that can heal him, but he's so prideful that he's not willing to obey the very commands that that same God is willing to give to him. And so I I see like throughout this story, God is just slowly trying to break down the walls that that Naaman has built uh, just continually by, by almost being ordered around by the lowest people possible, you know? I mean, think about it. He comes to a king for help. But in re- instead receives that help from a servant, you know, like he he wants to go to the top, you know, he wants he wants to be shown respect and he wants to only receive command. I mean, that's probably what he's talking about. That's probably what he's complaining about with 
with the miracle of of being in the river, he probably wants to talk to God himself. <laughs> you know, he probably wants like God himself to come down and be like, hey, Naaman, I got you, man. Like, let me like, boo, like send like some kind of energy and like, boo, like this. Yeah, he, he wants it. Like <laughs> yeah. he just wants to snap. Yeah. The he wants to see it too. Like he wants to be able to say that he did like, like, uh-huh. It's it's so easy and, and people would be amazed and wow, look at that amazing miracle and whatnot. And it wouldn't have taken mm-hmm. Naaman into this position where he was able to humble himself. And and that could be us. Yeah. That and and that I yeah, think, we we are You know, you know, most of the time when we talk about like the negatives about the characters on this podcast, I'm like That's yeah, yeah, us. That, yeah. I'm like, yeah, that's me. But, you know, I'm not that bad, you know. I feel like I can't say that with Naaman at all. Right. Like, because... Human nature honestly, is Honestly... Pride, yeah. I feel like almost every day I struggle with going into the into the Jordan seven times, you know. I, I feel like... And, and Naaman's so particularly, like, an attack directly towards me because he's faithful. He's faithful the whole time. Like, this bro does not give up on believing that God can change and transform him. His only issue is actually listening to the same God, you know? And it really makes me think about myself, you know? I believe in God, and I've seen enough proof in my own life. I've seen how he works in my life. I've seen how he how he works in the lives of others. And I've seen, like, you know... I've studied objective truths, you know, historical truth in the Bible, prophetic truth, all these different things to the point where I can't feasibly say to myself, there will be a point where I won't believe in God. I I think I will always believe in God. So the only question that remains is, will I be obedient to him? You know, And, and this is the same question that Naaman faces. You can believe in God, but are you going to to submit? Are you going to open your heart, remove that pridefulness, and truly obey him. And that's something I struggle with, frankly, every day. Yeah, and that's the blessing of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ because now we were all we're all sinners, but now and keyword, but now we we are able to to mm. change through him, through his blood, through his sacrifice. We, he gives us a strength just like he did on this earth, he gives us examples of how we could do it as well. Mm. And I think everyone everyone has a different journey. I have a different journey with with pridefulness or with with doubts or whatnot, with I, different ideas. Everyone has a different journey as a Christian. I think that's what's very special about that. And it's important to be vulnerable about that as well and open. But God is able to meet us wherever we are. He was able to meet Naaman in a country that is far away from the Israelites, the enemy of the Israelites. And mm-hmm. he met him there and he changed his life. And he is more than willing, seeking to change your own life. Yeah. I, and I think that's that's kind of like the big takeaway, you know, as as we live our lives, you know. I mean, at least for me, when I read this story, I have to really ask myself, Am I letting God transform my life? As I go about my day, am I willing to listen to him? Uh, am I willing to like open up the Bible and study his word? Or do I have something else that's more important than that? Am I truly opening up my heart to him? I have the faithfulness, you know? I, I believe he exists. 
but am I, am I acting on it? Am I really implementing that every single day in my life? All right, I think we should finish off with a quick word of prayer. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this day, Lord. Uh, thank you so much for just allowing us to explore the life of Naaman, explore this, this journey that he went on. Not a journey for just for his physical health, but also a journey for his spiritual health. I pray, God, that as we just continue on throughout our days, that we may just seek that obedience, God. We may believe in you, but you desire more than that. You desire for us to, because of our belief, to follow your word and to just really continue to seek after the character of your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for everything you've done for us. And I just pray that this message continues on staying in our heads, that we may continue to seek your glory, God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you guys so much for tuning in for this week's podcast. I encourage you guys to follow us on Instagram at the seventh mile and also to follow us on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to your podcast. Make sure that you follow us so you can keep track of the new episodes. And we want to give a huge shout out and thanks to David Ariaza for creating the music track in our podcast and also Adam Adrovino that edited this podcast and Joy Paulson with uh, illustrations. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I'll see you guys on the next one.